all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. I think mast cells are in some way they're they're getting painted the wrong color that they're you know that they're the troublemakers or that there's something you know they shouldn't be doing their jobs or so on but mast cells are really critical so they're the frontline defenders of the immune system and we have to have them This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your Lime Journey Guide, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 229 with functional naturopath Beth O'Hara. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio and... Finally back. Finally back. (laughs) I was going to say from the four corners of the world, but really only from... Four corners of the United States. The West and Midwest. (laughs) Yep. Aurora. Hello, Aurora. Hello. And in this episode, you will learn three main things. Why your Lyme symptoms might really be mast cell activation syndrome. An easy at-home test to see if you have mast cell activation. And the three common causes that trigger your mast cell. Thanks, Aurora. And a big shout out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And... We'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You're now officially a Lime Ninja. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week, we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week, we've had listeners tune in from Canada to Costa Rica and from Spain to Slovenia. And speaking of tuning in... We are going to be at the Midcoast Maine Lime Conference in Augusta, Maine in two weeks. Yeah. One week. It's coming up quick. It's not two weeks. <laughs> no. Two Fridays. So not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. If you're going to the conference, make sure you come up to me or Aurora. Definitely Aurora. She's going to have a table set up in the vendors area. Come by, say hello, introduce yourself. We're, we'll hold back a couple little swaggy things. <laughs> For you listeners up there, a little packet. So make sure you come in and say hello, and we'll give that to you. All right? Okay. So, Roy, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Beth O'Hara. 
Beth O'Hara is a functional naturopath and a functional genetic analyst. She's been in practice for 10 years. After years of struggling with debilitating symptoms with mast cell activation syndrome, she discovered a three-part approach that helped her get well. Her passion is working with people with MCAS or mast cell activation syndrome to find their root causes and support their healing. Dad. Yes. <laughs> Why did you want to talk with Beth? Well, first of all, she's a really good friend. Yes. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is she really fits into phase three of our Lyme journey guide, and that's the restore phase. And the beginning of that is to think outside the tick. Right. Lots of times what happens is there are other things going on beside Lyme disease, and we get so focused on Lyme disease that we miss the broader picture there. And we heard that story so eloquently eloquently stated when we interviewed Heather Peretta. And Beth really draws that out, this mast cell activation syndrome, which can be caused by Lyme disease, but is separate from Lyme disease and needs to be treated separately. So it's really important to know what's going on around in your body and not just the infection itself. So that's why. So you need to, once you get your infection under control, you need to restore the rest of your body and recover from being sick for so long. So that's why we're interviewing her. And speaking of that, here's our interview with Beth O'Hara. Hello, Beth. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here with you. That makes two of us. Now, I don't often get to interview my friends, and I'm always extra excited when I get to do that. And we know each other through working together with Bob Miller's research arm of his company. I don't even know what to call it. Nutrigenetic Research Institute. That's that's or, a good. We'll just call it an institute. Yes, because that's what we are. Yeah, we're technically the research advisors. Is that what we are? That's what we are. We have titles? Yeah. You can I put want, that on your resume. I want like a button or patch or something. <laughs> we'll get you a name badge. There you uh, go. We'll get you a lanyard. Now, you have an interesting background because you are you didn't get started in the genetic nutrition supplement world. Your background is in psychology. It is. It's like, um, <laughs> by accident. Psychology by accident or nutrition yeah. by accident? Well, more a little psychology, maybe not accident, by um, misfortune. Oh, no. Yeah. You want me to explain that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you've set it up now. I'm dying of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, bef before I tell you that, I... I just wanted to um, say that I'm super excited to talk to you, too, because we know each other and also because um, I know how passionate we both are about helping people to get well and unravel health mysteries for people who are um, suffering, especially people like those that have chronic Lyme that have been suffering for a long time. And that's part of how I got into all of this was suffering for a long time and having a hard time unraveling that mystery. So I know we're going to talk about mast cell activation syndrome. I think that's really relevant for people with Lyme. And um, my guess is at least 50 to 75% of people with Lyme have mast cell activation. 
And that's um, part of how I got into psychology as a background because I was um, going to go to medical school and that was my passion and my dream. And uh, But I grew up in the country and was running around outside all the time. Also grew up in an old farmhouse that was full of mold and had health issues as a child. And by the time I, um, I just pushed through, pushed through, pushed through, and then getting towards the end of my undergrad, I really crashed. And I had a full scholarship to med school and I knew there was no way I was going to make it. So I had to turn that down. And that was probably one of the biggest disappointments of my life. Um, but I had to finish out that undergrad degree. Um, so I finished out in psychology because I was also very interested in that. And that was something I knew I could do. I could finish. Um, but I, I went through physiological psychology. I wanted to know, like, what are the mechanics of how the brain works with the mind and the mind-body connection. Um, and then I did go on and get a master's in marriage and family therapy. Um, but kind of along that road, when I couldn't figure out what was going, well, no one could figure out what was going on with my health and I was so sick. Um, I had to start looking for answers for myself. So um, long before I got that master's of marriage and family therapy, I was a health coach and looking at health and nutrition and chronic health issues and trying to solve my my challenges and, and help some other people along the way. I find it so interesting that many of us are prompted into this line of work, alternative medicine, let's call it complementary medicine, outside the box medicine, outside the prescription pad medicine, by a mystery that wasn't solved with standard medicine. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think, I know this isn't the case for everyone, but I think when you've gone from practitioner to practitioner, when you've reached the limits of traditional medicine, or in my case, when it makes you worse and worse, um, you, you have a different entry point and angle. And even though it was so disappointing to me that I didn't get to go to medical school, I'm really glad I didn't now because I wanted to go into neurology and I would have been um, uh, just a real traditional physician. That was my mindset. You know, I would have had my prescription pad and put people in boxes and, and looked for the linear relationships. And so I had to take this whole winding path. I mean, I became a yoga therapist and... Um, did all kinds of stuff, looking for healing, studied mind-body connections and meditation and Qigong and um, on top of all the nutritional possibilities and supplements. And I get totaled up at one point while I was looking for answers for myself. I saw over 50 practitioners and spent over $100,000 trying to get better. Now, Let's let's pause here for a second because I have a another thread that I've been weaving through these last few podcasts, and it's about planning your journey through Lyme disease. Now, nobody plans to get chronically ill. It just doesn't matter what you end up at being diagnosed with. It's just not something that's on the table. But what'd you say? Fifty practitioners and a hundred thousand bucks. That's a lot. And did you just kind of 
keep going? Did you have a plan? Did you just not give up? I mean, what, what drove you forward? Did you, at some point, did you kind of pull back and say, okay, you know, we've been doing this now. I've only seen, I've only spent $50,000 and seen 25 therapists <laughs> or, or different practitioners. You know, maybe I need a plan. Did, did that ever occur to you or were you just putting one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other? You know, really just one foot in front of the other and what unfolded and what the next suggestion was or where I thought might help next. And, you know, it might be helpful to, to tell people um, how sick I was. So I got to a point, um, I, I worked full time for four years and then I had to quit in my mid-20s. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't work. Um, and then I, you know, I worked part-time after that, but I, I couldn't work full-time. And then I got to a point where I was so sick, McKay, I could barely walk. I was on a cane. Um, I was mostly bedridden and I didn't work for over a year. I would... My sleep was terrible, and I was so fatigued and exhausted. I couldn't get out of bed until about 2 in the afternoon. Horrible anxiety. So I didn't want to leave my house even if I could walk. And it was a really good day if I could get the dishwasher unloaded. Then the next day I might load it. <laughs> but that was my life. And, um, and then going to practitioners, studying on my own, reading books, looking online, talking to people online. And what, you know, what kept me going was I always had this unshakable knowing that if I could figure out what the root issues were to my health, what the root factors were in all these health issues, then I'd have the keys to unlock how to heal. I just knew it. I just, I just always knew it. And I, I couldn't find anybody that knew what those were. In the darkest day for me, um, I was seeing a functional medicine practitioner in our area who was known as um, the go-to for complex cases, you know, the, the most experienced. And I'd seen a lot of people at that point. And we worked together for a few years, tried all kinds of things, and um, I just kept getting more sick. And finally, he told me one day, he said, um, he said, I, I'm at the end of what I know to do for you. I, I don't have anything else. And, you know, as long as there was one more thing, I could keep going. But when somebody told me there's there's nothing else, I cry it was an hour drive. I cried the whole drive back. I mean, I just like, what am I going to do? This is no quality of life. I can't live like this. And I reached out. I was in a small Facebook group, um, a private Facebook group of women that Yasmina Yakelison had started. And she's um, she had run Low Histamine Chef, which became Healing Histamine. And um, so we had this little support group of women. Most of them, most of us were healthcare practitioners in some way or another. And um, I knew I had some histamine issues, but they were my, uh, you know, my real emotional support through all of that. And I just reached out. I said, I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know where else to turn. I've already seen 50 people. I've spent so much money. And this woman in the Netherlands said, run your genetics. And, um, 
just run your genetics. Back then, you know, all we really had was 23andMe. And she said, run your genetics and start to take a look. I bet you're going to find some answers. So I said, uh, how do you start that? And she said, I'll, I'll get you started. So, you know, we were studying Amy Yasko and everything we could get our hands on. Amy Yasko was looking at like 32, 34 genes. Um, but I saw some some clues in there and some things started making sense why I was having all these strange reactions to glutamine and curcumin and I couldn't take those and all these medications I couldn't take. And that was really the big turning point. And then the next big turning point was figuring out I had mast cell activation syndrome. And then after that, finding these root pieces, um, these root causes for, for my mast cell activation syndrome. And then tracking down root causes that um, other people um, have for their mast cell activation syndrome. So I'm glad to tell you that's not a happy story, but I'm really happy to tell you that now I've I've got my life back and I was able to become a naturopath. So I got to come full circle in a way that I think is much better than what my life would have been if I'd gone to med school and um you know, I still have some fatigue and I still have to be careful traveling and I can't eat all those delicious high histamine foods, but um, I can walk a couple miles and take my dogs for walks all the time and work full time and have a full practice. So it just feels pretty incredible to revisit that story and then look at where I am today because it's it's a very different life. It is. How and so you're still kind of in the phase of the journey where correct me if I'm wrong too, I'm making an assumption here, where you're still reintegrating. Is that I mean, it's like you're not like you said, you still have some fatigue, you still have to watch what you eat. Do you do you feel like you've there's more to go or there's like okay, there's this last five percent that I'm still that I'm still picking at? I, you know, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not anything else, I'm tenacious. And um, so what, what I'm on now for myself is mycotoxins. And um, I have some elevated levels of mycotoxins. So I'm working on that. I think that's going to make a difference. Um, working on hydrogen, hydrogen water. Um, that's helping those hydroxyl radicals that we talk about and the Fenton reaction, that inflammation. So anything that's an infection or underlying inflammation um, is a mast cell trigger. And I know the more I can get those triggers handled and inflammation managed, uh, the less those mast cells are going to be stirred up and the less intense my healing protocol has to be. So I would say I would say I'm pretty well reintegrated, but my protocol is still higher maintenance than I want it to be, and I've got to um, I've got to deal with these mycotoxins and see if the you know if I still have some Lyme infections. What what was the hardest part? So you, you're at the point you've done some healing. You're working part-time and you say, okay, I'm ready to try life again. I'm ready to re-enter, right? You're, you're, you're nearing the end of your Lyme journey. And what was, was that a difficult transition to get back into work? Or was it just like, oh, thank goodness, I'm, I'm back in the flow of somewhat normal here? 
Mm. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've known what somewhat normal has been. <laughs> because I've Fair enough. my whole life. So, you know, even as a child, I never felt great. Um, but I also always felt like a racehorse at the gate and the gate just wouldn't open. <laughs> you know, it's like so much I want to do, so much I want to study, so much I want to do with my practice and with life and um, and and just wanting that gate to open. So as I started coming back, you know, into life, and I'm sure people who are recovering can relate to this, um, I would definitely overdo. So I would, you know, think I was a thoroughbred racehorse and forget that I was still recouping, make it halfway around the track and crash. Um, so I would say it was pretty herky-jerky, um, figuring out what my limits were and, and, and then giving myself that permission to continue to rest and heal and do is going to take to, to get better. Did For that sure. take, did that take longer than you thought it would? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm an internal optimist. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I would think, oh, this will take me two months and it would be two years, but <laughs> Okay. It keeps me running. <laughs> now, let's pivot to mast cells and help me here because, you know, we talk about mast cell activation, but aren't mast cells supposed to activate? It's like, when does it move from being something the body's doing to a syndrome where it's a problem? It's like, I, I struggle with this. That's a great question. Um I think mast cells are in some way they're they're getting painted the wrong color that they're you know that they're the troublemakers or that there's something you know they shouldn't be doing their jobs or so on but mast cells are really critical so they're the frontline defenders of the immune system and we have to have them so they operate in wound healing um, immunity and blood brain barrier function and they're like if you think about the body as a castle, this is a metaphor I like to use, they're like the guards or the frontline defenders of that castle. And so if there's a threat from a pathogen like a virus or bacteria or parasite or even an allergen, the mast cells are the first responders. So they are activated to release different chemicals um, in order to signal the other key players of the immune system to move in to the body where they're needed. I, so the mast cells are isolating this invader and that's, that's their job. So um, they're protecting our bodies and they're in a lot of tissues in the body. Um, so in the skin, the gut lining, the lung lining, the bladder, um, the blood vessels, nerves and tendons and bones and ligaments in the brain. But what happens when it gets switched from that normal response to a mast cell disorder, and there's different mast cell disorders. Um, so some of them like mastocytosis happen when there's too high concentration of mast cells, but we're going to talk about that mast cell activation syndrome. Um, this happens when the mast cells get dysregulated. So, because of chronic inflammatory processes, chronic infections, um, chronic toxicity, 
um, genetic issues, the mast cells get, the signaling goes haywire. And then they're on hyper alert all the time. So it's like, instead of the guards of the castle defending against an invader, and then they get to take a break and, you know, have their time off or whatever. Um, it's like they're on hyper alert all the time. They don't know the difference anymore between an invader and a butterfly. And so then they just start going after everything, even things that are innocuous, like, um, you know, could be um, just a, a, a type of food or just the act of digestion can set them off. Being stressed or I was just talking to a client who was telling me that when she has any emotions, she starts to have uh, mast cell reactions. I want to pause here because you brought up something I didn't know. How are mast cells involved in wound healing? So, you know how you cut yourself and often, not immediately, but a little while after you cut yourself, you'll start to get some redness and some inflammation. Um, Those are the Mm -hmm. mast cells creating inflammation to protect that wound from any um, bacteria getting in there. And then they signal the other immune cells that come in and do the wound repair. Okay. So it's, it's more of a, a signal. They kind of prepare the ground and then do signaling. So are, are they one of the uh, main uh, creators of these the healing cytokines, or they, are they mostly the the substances that they're releasing? Because the other thing mast cell does is like it's a, it's a giant grocery store of <laughs> immune substances, and it can just toss out whatever's needed yeah, at the time. That's so that's kind of how I look at it. Just really kind of like a really simple cartoon version of it. It helps me, it, it helps me understand. But so can, can it signal like the, the TH2 side and, and macrophage two side of things to, to bring in healing? Or is it more like, okay, here's the inflammatory stage, let's go. And then once that's done, the, the healing comes on the, yep. on the heels of it. These mast cells you know the are really, um, if we can use the word intelligent, very intelligent. So mm-hmm. they have over 200 mediators they can selectively release. So they don't necessarily degranulate air and release everything at the same time. When they're functioning properly, they're selectively releasing. So they, ha- and then they have all these receptors on the outside. And so depending on what docks on that receptor, will trigger which chemicals get released. So maybe it is cytokines that then signal the TH2 system. It might be histamine to create more swelling and inflammation. They even release serotonin. I don't know a whole lot about the serotonin aspect of it, so I'll have to dig into that some more, but um, we don't deal with that a whole lot. But they just so many molecules that they can release prostaglandins and... um, Triptase. There's just lots of things. So yeah, they're they're really intelligent cells. So not only do they stand guard there, but once the action has started, right? The, if we're going to use the battle analogy, once the the battle has engaged there, they're also coordinating and calling for different types of reinforcement depending on what's needed. So this is, I mean, it's, they're really, they're kind of this, this sentinel, but they're also this coordinating function here. 
Now, but so this is interesting, and, and we're going to go kind of off off here. Many of the other immune system cells have similar communicating and coordinating functions. It's like the whole, you know, we, we'd want to follow kind of one cytokine or, you know, one activating factor. But when something happens, there are dozens of these, you know, and it's, it becomes more of a, a stew with a flavor to it rather than, you know, one simple pathway to follow. Right. And it's like, you know, it's like um, we think about the whole immune system working like a symphony, Right. And so all of the players have to come in at the right time and be coordinated and have pacing, the timing together. And then when we have this immune dysregulation, it's like the conductor gets out of sync and some of the instruments are out of tune and then things start to go out of whack. And so even though we're talking about mass cell activation syndrome, the ways that we work with that are going to support the whole the immune system as a whole. So when you think about sears and, and mold toxicity, well, that's similar, but we're talking about T cells. And you can have other, you know, basophil issues, eosinophil issues, and so on. Now, with Lyme disease and mass cells, is you know, and let's just talk about in your approach when you're dealing with people and the treatment sequence, let's say, you know, if somebody's presenting and they're a new patient and you, it's pretty clear they have Lyme disease and they also have uh, uh, dysregulation of the immune system and mast cells, is there a chicken? Is there an egg? Is like, what comes, do you have to take care of the mast cells before you can treat the Lyme or do you have to, you know, to kind of reduce the bacterial load so you're not activating the mast cells? What's your approach? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, to back up a little bit, some people can have mast cell activation syndrome before they have Lyme. So that's, more my case. So I have a lot of genetic factors that set me up for it, a lot of early experiences that set me up for it, and the Lyme came later. And so the... um, Do you think catching, quote-unquote, catching Lyme was kind of... uh, You were more susceptible because you have this mast cell activation? Yes, absolutely. And... And um, really the root issues underlying it, the, you know, the chronic inflammation that was going on, the genetic issues that were going on. Um, I didn't have a great diet growing up. So, you know, we grew up on junk food. Um, So all those factors make us more predisposed, but all those factors are contributing to that mass cell activation syndrome. So I always think about digging down to the, the root most level of where we need to work. So when we're looking at Lyme, I see a lot of people who come in, they've had um, Lyme diagnosis, they've been working on Lyme treatment, but they're stuck, they're not getting anywhere, they're getting worse. Um, and so that's when it's um, a signal to me that we need to, we need to go back and calm the immune system down, um, help regulate it, calm the mast cells down, And so that the immune system as a whole can work better treating, going after the Lyme. And so once the mast cell activation syndrome is handled 
and the other immune components are in better working order, then the Lyme treatments tend to go easier, they go better. Some of the Lyme treatments can stimulate mast cell activation syndrome um, and, and worsen it. So that's something that for like like what like antibiotics. A lot of antibiotics cause increased um, histamine release, and a lot of people with Lyme are in so much pain, and they're using um, different kinds of analgesics, different painkillers, um, especially NSAIDs. Those can trigger mast cell degranulation, and so if the immune system is already stirred up then that can throw somebody into um, like an acquired mass activation syndrome in addition to just the Lyme infection itself can trigger it. And so often if we can manage histamines and support the mast cells to be better regulated, if somebody has to do antibiotics or they have to do some of these other um, medications that can affect those mast cells, they're better, much better tolerated. So you're saying with mast cell and Lyme with the dual diagnosis here that you either need to get a handle on the mast cell before you really uh, do a heavy round of antibiotics or herbals or, or whatever might, might trigger the mast cells or at least do it concurrently. Is that right. correct? Yes. I'm, so what I've seen. So you can't wait. This isn't something you can wait to. Okay, I'll 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 get to the mast cells after I get rid of the Lyme or reduce you, the Lyme load. You can. <laughs> um, you can. But, <laughs> but um, you know, and, and that's where people tend to come in. You know, so uh, into my office or you know, call for a consultation is. Um, so I don't treat Lyme directly, so I've always refer out for Lyme, but people are usually calling when they're struggling, they're stuck, and they're suspecting there's a mast cell issue, um, or they want, they already know they've got a histamine issue, mast cell issue, and they want to get ahead of that. And then I collaborate with their Lyme practitioner, um, but yeah, if, if when people go don't know they have the mast cell activation syndrome or they have histamine issues, they do the heavy dew lighting treatment. Sometimes they'll end up with the um, with all the challenges at the end of the road of the treatment. And I think one of the things that I really hope people will take away from, and Heather Parada did a great job in her podcast talking about this. So. If people haven't listened to that, that's a wonderful one to go back and listen to. Um, that not everything is Lyme. And after the treatment, these things that persist, I often also will see people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling fatigued and I'm flushing and I'm having these food intolerances. So I'm going to go back on these Lyme treatments. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe it is Lyme. But what if it's not? You know, what if it's, you know, what if it's um, an immune dysregulation at this point then you can get that calmed down i've seen a lot of people who are spinning their wheels for a few years um, chasing lime on its own and if there's a more orchestrated and coordinated effort in terms of these different factors they just heal much faster how does a person know they have mast cell issues what are the main symptoms 
or the main 20 symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do we have? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, there's a ton of symptoms in mast cell activation syndrome, and that's because those mast cells, like I said earlier, are in many, many systems in the body. So nearly all systems in the body have mast cells. Um, some of the frequent symptoms that people have are things like flushing. If people get flushing after higher histamine foods, wine, um, that's a pretty good indicator. Um, people may have skin symptoms. So if there's skin involvement, there might be rashes or hives. Um um, rosacea, eczema, those are commonly involved. Some, so the flushing is, is really different typically from your usual Lyme symptoms. Um, dermographia is common. What's that? Um, dermographia just means uh, writing on the skin. And so one of the ways that I check people, see what kind of reaction they have and see if mast cell involvement might be involved is I have them scratch their inner arm at the forearm, like between the elbow and the where the tendons are visible, the wrist. And not enough to break the skin, but an okay site, you know, decent scratch. And just to see if there's a lot of redness develops, how long those lines persist. Some people with a lot of mast cell activation syndrome um, challenges, if they've got a lot of skin symptoms, they can actually write their name with their fingernail on their arm. And then that'll stay there for a long time, you know, 20 minutes, some people two, three, four hours. Um, I don't do the scratch myself when I'm demonstrating for people on myself because I will hurt and be inflamed for hours afterwards. Um, so that's my question. So I just went ahead and scratched myself, of course, <laughs> just as long as everybody else did listening to this podcast. And so what what are we looking for here? So it, mine turned white. Okay. So it can turn white or red. Mm -hmm. And then what I notice is that people that don't have mast cell activation or histamine issues, and, and that's, you know, we have to talk about histamine sensitivity also. But um, they'll get red or white. It'll last for two, three minutes, and then it's gone. It's okay. No big deal. So it resolves it, in a few minutes. It resolves. If it's lasting five minutes, um, and again, I don't know how much you scratch, so I show uh, people either in my office or when we're on a conference call, um, I'll show them how long to scratch for and kind of watch them and try to make it as consistent as possible. Um. But watching for that <clears throat> staying red, really telltale sign is if the place where somebody scratched is red and then that redness spreads beyond where the scratching was. So that's a mast cell cascade going on. Another, um, how, about, how about what, like if it raises up? Yeah, that's a good indicator. Okay. Are you getting raised up? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and another one that involves the skin is um, having impressions on your skin from elastics, like an elastic waistband, socks, underwear, bra, from elastics that aren't too tight. So this is different from wearing something that's too small, but just normally fitting socks. So every time I take my socks off at night and I don't wear tight socks, I have deep lines in my skin. 
from where the socks were. And this is because the mast cells, when they're overreactive, they'll cause that connective tissue in the skin to become spongy. And um, so often, and again, none of these are 100% definitive. So they're clues. This is a game of clue with mast cell activation syndrome. But um, the skin can be looser. So like I can pull my skin up on my hand um, pretty easily. Joints also, there might be hypermobility in the joints. Ehlers-Danlos is really common. That's a hypermobility issue. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Is that just a, a more severe version of mast cell activation, or is that something different? Well, there's some di- there's different types of Ehlers-Danlos. So I'm just going to talk about the hypermobility type. Okay. And there are some genetic components that cause collagen disorder, um, but you can. There are also people that end up with acquired hypermobility. So maybe they don't have full-blown genetic Ehlers-Danlos, but they're on a hypermobility spectrum. And that can be involved when the mast cells in that connective tissue, again, just like the skin inside the joints, the ligaments, the tendons are becoming too loose and spongy. And um, then it's very easy to hyperextend, especially like elbows, knees. That's something to look for. Um, And arthritis that moves around a lot is common arthritis pain that moves around a lot instead of it's always my fingers just always hurt in the morning. Um, it's just, just this migrating pain, muscle and joint pain. I mean, that's a classic Lyme disease symptom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that, how is, are they, are they related? Do you think? Well, they could be, if you have both, they could be. Um, I, and I, I, I find in the people I see with Lyme that the vast majority also have mast cell activation syndrome. So, you know, I think it's probably a combination of both the Lyme and the co-infections triggering the mast cells. Um, And then sometimes it might also be some of those biotoxins themselves causing pain, or um, I know some of the co-infections will affect the collagen how do you begin to calm these fellows down? Yeah. Um, let me let me just hit on a couple more telltale signs and then I'll, I'll okay. do that. Um, so excess mucus is really common. Uh, people clear their throat frequently to dislodge the mucus or post-nasal drip. Uh, and then um, low blood pressure, blood pressure fluctu- fluctuations. So Mass selectivation syndrome, not always, but can go along with what's called POTS, that postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And that's just a fancy word for saying that the circulation is affected. So the blood vessels can become a little um, too spongy as well, and it keeps the blood pressure down. So somebody might get lightheaded when they stand up too quickly, uh, those kinds of things. So moving on to how do you calm the mast cells down? Is that where we're going? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some good news, right? Yeah. Um, it, uh, this depends on the root causes. And so I've identified um, seven common root causes that I evaluate everyone for. And so there's no just simple, oh, well, you should take quercetin. 
Um, right. there, there are mast cell stabilizers like quercetin that are really helpful, luteolin, um, Chinese skull cap is an excellent one. Um, but to really manage this, we have to look at what's keeping the mast cells dysregulated in the first place. Okay, so let's let's pause there. I'm not going to have you go through all seven because we, we don't have the time to do that. But, like, what are the top three? I would say the top three are, number one, infections like okay. um, Lyme, uh, mycotoxins, bacterial infections, viral infections that become chronic. So the second one would be um, ongoing toxicity and those could be biotoxins they can be chemical toxins heavy metals so on um and then number three often are nutrient issues so a lot of times i see people who have not they haven't had a good um, diet most of their lives or they have some genetic issues that keep certain nutrients um, low, so maybe they have transsulfuration issues. They're ma- not making enough sulfate. Sulfate is used by mast cells to make heparin sulfate, which is their main stabilizing molecule. So I, you know, I look at that with people: what's going on nutritionally, and of course, what's going on diet-wise. Um, how how are they eating? What are they eating? Uh, is the diet high in histamine, but not just histamines. We've got to look at lectins. We look at oxalates. So we go through a whole discovery and investigative process to see what's involved with this person. And then we start working um, from two avenues, one to take care of those root causes. And the other is to start to calm those mast cells down with some of the things we mentioned uh, personalized to that person. So quercetin, if they can handle the methyl donors, um, most people do great with Chinese skull cap. Um, I use PEA. We, so a number of things, the luteolin. You begin to treat people and remove these irritating factors. So we've had, you know, you've gotten to the, you've gone through your seven things. You found out, okay, th- these four irritating. So we begin to take care of them, pull them out of the diet or pull them out of their person's environment or, or whatever needs to be done there. Do the mast cells ever stand down or once they're in this hyper vigilant stage, is it just really, really tough to get them to, it's like, okay, guys, just, you know, take a break, go calm down. No, they, they do. I actually had a wonderful (laughs) reprieve about four years ago. Uh, my health was best had been in my life. I'd work really hard, um, taking care of my diet, done the right supplements, handled some root issues. Um, so I had a good year where I was feeling really great. And what we have to remember is once they stand down, it's also still a weak point. And so it can get flared up again. And so I um, did some travel to Korea to teach and didn't have good control over my foods and came back with the flu. And then we had a water leak that I didn't know about in the house and I got mold exposure. And so it got flared up again. Uh, but they, they will, they, they do stand down. And um, especially once you get those root pieces managed 
um, they'll calm down and then it's so much easier to take care of things like Lyme or other infections and to get those handled. Yeah. I mean, one of the, my current fascinations is the flexibility of the immune system and the requirement for it to be flexible. It needs to be able to bend and twist and inflame and then call back down and then heal and then destroy stuff and everything in between. And when it gets stuck, like what you're talking about with the mast cell activation, that's one of the ways it can get stuck. Then that's when we get, that's what we get into trouble. And you were bringing up earlier the difference between like a histamine intolerance and mast cells. And what, what did you want to talk about with that? Yeah. So mast cell activation syndrome is when the mast cells themselves, the immune cells uh, are overreactive. And then there's something called histamine intolerance. And this is an issue where we have trouble degrading histamine. So the mast cells we release histamine. And then the body has these different enzymes that degrade it. So we have an enzyme called DAO, diamine oxidase. We have HNMT, histamine and methyltransferase. And we also degrade histamine through acetylation. And if those enzymes can't keep up with the histamine load, then you have what's called histamine intolerance. And you can have one or the other. And what I find the people that struggle the most are the ones that have both. So one of the reasons I was so sick was I have both. Um, So I have challenges with all of the enzymes that degrade histamine and my mast cells way overproduce histamine. And then one of the things that happens is when the mast cells are releasing their inflammatory molecules, normally that heparin sulfate will stabilize them. They'll use the heparin sulfate to stabilize themselves. Things will calm back down. But if there's not enough heparin sulfate or the mast cells are just really overreactive, they release these inflammatory molecules which then triggers the mast cells nearby to release their inflammatory molecules and it keeps spreading, keeps spreading. And so it's kind of like if you have a spark that starts in the forest, then it lights, you know, a little pile of leaves and then it lights some sticks and some twigs and pretty soon you have a forest fire and the whole system can become inflamed from this. Um, And so that's why that if you have the histamine intolerance, it can make it worse because that histamine that's not getting degraded plays into this feedback loop that continues to to cycle downward or cycle out of control. You know, the name of your website is masscell360.com. And obviously 360 means looking all around what's going with the mass cell. And it's becoming so clear that, you know, it's got a simple label to it, but there's so much that's, that's involved here. And it's amazing how you can pick out one cell in the body and then organize, almost organize the entire rest of the body around that one cell and the functioning. Eventually you get to every part. Mm-hmm. And you know what you've done is is incredible, and if folks are interested in 
getting in touch with you. They're thinking, you know what? I scratched my arm. It's still bright red. We did that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> mine, mine. I scratched myself pretty hard, and it's kind of half faded and half still red. So I think I'm somewhere in between. Um, but if you know, they're they're thinking, you know, I've I've always wondered about this mast cell stuff, and if it's what's blocking my recovery from Lyme disease, how do they get hold of you? Well, the a great place people can go is that website, mastcell360.com, and um, mast is spelled M-A-S-T, T as in Tom. Um, mastcell360.com. And I put up a page for your readers because I knew we wouldn't be able to get to all of these seven root causes. Um, but there's a page on there. Um, it's mastcell360.com slash free report. And I've made a free report for people with all seven of the root causes in there. So people can download that and take a look and get some more information. And then, you know, if they're reading that report or you're listening to this and you're thinking, gosh, this really sounds like me, or I've been doing Lyme treatment for so long and I'm stuck or I feel like I'm getting worse, something, there's got to be some other factor. Um, then there's a, a contact page. If you have questions, you can ask questions or you can schedule um, a case review right there. And case reviews are pretty extensive. So I always warn people because it is mass cell 360. So the intake packet's about 40 pages. Um, but what I wanted to do was because I struggled so much finding a practitioner who could help me. And um, so many people were just looking at these isolated pieces. I really wanted to create the dream experience that I wish I had had when I was healing and, and trying to find answers and trying to get well. And so that's what I've put together for people in my um, practice is that that kind of dream experience of having somebody who's really going to look at all of the components, really listen to your story and um, help you piece this together. That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> it's my life passion. It's, it's a ton. It's an amazing ton of work. And thanks for making that free report available. Uh, I feel better about not getting into the, all the seven causes of, of mast cell that you found so far. I'm looking forward to the eighth and the ninth too, as, <laughs> as time the, goes on. The most common. I've got the eighth and ninth and tenth, but this, these were the most common that are in the report. Yeah. <laughs> You're holding out on me. <laughs> I'll share with you, McKay. You know, I will. <laughs> and lastly, because this has been kind of a winding conversation is what, what have I forgot to ask you about or distracted you from mentioning that's, that needs to be said, or did we cover all the bases? Uh, well, I think uh, we could just really touch on how to know if mass activation syndrome is an issue for somebody. Um, one one other factor that that we didn't touch on yet is if symptoms improve with antihistamines, that can be a telltale sign. Um, you have to keep in mind that many antihistamines have fillers and dyes in them, so you got to make sure that you know you're not reacting to something like that. I had a client who did children's liquid Benadryl and was itching like crazy because it made her worse. One of the inactive ingredients did, but. So the artificial cherry flavor did her in, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I think it has potassium sorbate. That's a big, oh, okay. a big trigger. Um, but if you could so, what can you use if somebody wants to say, okay, I'm going to go out and get uh, antihistamine? Which one should they get? 
Um, to test. An option might be, uh, and of course, people need to run this past their physician, especially if there are any medications. But Thank you for reminding <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, uh, Dye-free Benadryl. Now, some people can have um, reactions to, paradoxical reactions to Benadryl. But Dye-free Benadryl will make people groggy usually. Um, but if that starts to clear up some things... Um, most of the other ones like Claritin do have titanium dioxide, which some people are sensitive to, but trying to find something with as few fillers as possible, absolutely no colors, no flavors. Those are mast cell triggers. Uh, so that would, those, those would be the good ones. If you have a prescriber and access to a compounding pharmacy, the, you know, the amazing one would be like compounded um, um, hydroxazine or, something like that, the compounded Claritin. So you absolutely know you just have the antihistamine. So that's a fairly good one, um, good good option to look at and to try. And if we don't want to stay on antihistamines long-term unless they're really needed, because they can have their own challenges. But what, that's a good what? one. Well, things like Benadryl, there's a lot of research linking that to dementia, um, regular use, long-term use of, of it. Um, the other challenge is that those antihistamines, so we've got things like Claritin, Allegra, um, those kinds of things, they're just histamine blockers. And so they will block the receptor so the body isn't registering the high histamine levels. But then... But they're still there. It's still there. And as yeah. it goes on, if those receptors are blocked, it can backfire because the body will go oh, receptors are blocked, I'm not getting any feedback that I have histamine, I better raise my histamine levels because we oh have use this histamine as a neurotransmitter as well. Yeah. And so we want to be careful with those antihistamines, make sure that it's judicious use, and I'm not anti-medication at all, um, but I think people need to know the um, both sides of the equation. And then those H2 blockers, a uh, common symptom um, that people can have is acid reflux, and if that's, you know, we often hear about that from being from low stomach acid, but we can get acid reflux as a mast cell reaction. And um, those H2 blockers, again, just block the receptors. Um, but if we're doing something like an antacid that's lowering the acid levels in the stomach, you know, I'm sure people have talked about, and you well know, that can lead to all kinds of digestive issues, open us up to GI uh, infections. We and need that acid. We need that acid for sure, but we also need it to not be burning the esophagus. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I work I work a lot to um, work on supporting the natural pathways through food choices, through um, nutrients, checking nutrients, and then supplementing as needed and um, supplements that can really help calm the body down without the side effects that we can get from some of the medications. But some people are so severe that they, they need those. And definitely if people have anaphylaxis or those kinds of severe issues, um, that may be absolutely worth the side effects. Beth, you've been incredibly generous giving up your time in the middle of your day. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, McKate. I always love talking to you and just really happy to be on here. And I hope this helps some people and I think it could um, possibly save some lives. So 
I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on and, and we get to have this conversation. such a great interview. Um, Beth has a really great way of talking about mast cell that's really easy to understand, which I am very, very grateful for. It's such a complex syndrome. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, it absolutely is. And I wanted to make a note that what Beth recommends doing is if you're if you think that you have mast cell activation, or if you want to consider it or rule it out, that you should look into it before you kind of start going after the Lyme disease, the Borrelia itself, um, to kind of separate those two out so you can treat them separately. You know, that's such a good point. In the beginning, we talked about this as really kind of phase three. And once you're through the infection phase and maybe still having some symptoms to look at mast cell activation. But if you've been sick for a long time, Maybe what needs to happen is you need to go in there and really kind of on the 360 degrees diagnosis and when you're rebooting your treatment is to see if you can't separate out whether it's an infection that's bothering you or if it's something like mast cell activation. So that's a really good point. I agree with her 100%. (laughs) You can take a look at that at the beginning or the end, what other makes sense mostly for you and your Lyme journey. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And if you really, really like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this podcast with a friend. You just might save their life. Do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests? Really anything? Send us an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know, when you tell a ninja to jump, they don't ask how high. They ask, when should I come down? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.